This is the KJC Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the KJC Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin James Coleman, and this is episode number two. I hope you all enjoyed the first episode, and thanks again to Tom Quinlan for joining us. Two New York sports guys living in New England is something we always joke around about. It's it's funny how we both grew up in different areas of the Tri-State area, but we had one thing in common, which was listening to WFAN, Mike and the Mad Dog, rooting for the Knicks, the Rangers, the Giants. It's just funny how we both ended up at a school in Boston and are still up in New England. He's down in Providence. I'm here in Boston, but hope you all enjoyed that. I hope you all are staying safe and social distancing as we continue to battle this pandemic. Just stay home, plain and simple. Just stay home. I think I've fallen more in love with my couch than ever before. And if you know me, if you know my couch, if you're a friend, if you're part of the family, you know how special the couch is that we got set up here uh, up here in Boston. It's been in the family for a long time. And it just feels like when you sit on it, you're just sitting on a cloud. It's it's incredible. Just like everyone else, finding ways to occupy myself during this time when I'm not working and looking for new things to watch. And I got to tell you, I am hooked on The Last Dance. If you're a sports fan in general, if you don't have to be a basketball fan. If you're a sports fan, and you need something to watch to occupy your time right now, it's The Last Dance. If you haven't seen it yet, go do yourself a favor and go watch The Last Dance. It's absolutely incredible. I've been locked in on this documentary every week, and I kind of love that ESPN is releasing only two episodes a week. It, I think it allows sports fans to feel like it's back to normal where we have something to look forward to every week. And in this case, it's Michael Jordan's The Last Dance on ESPN every Sunday night. And it just feels like some just feels like sports is is back in some sort of way. Now I love MJ and it's been so cool to see the behind the scenes footage of his time with the Bulls, especially in the nineties. And I just finished the episode where they beat the Phoenix Suns. That journey for them to beat the Phoenix Suns was not easy. They had to beat the Knicks in the conference finals, and the Knicks really gave a run for their money. Now, the Knicks kind of faded at the end of the series, but that was so cool to see the Garden back in the, in the early 90s when it was it was hot. It, it was That was the place to be, Madison Square Garden, and to see John Starks dunk in 93 over MJ was so cool. Patrick Ewing, uh, Charles Oakley, the whole thing it was just as a Nick fan, it was it was really cool to see the at, you you really got a chance to see Madison Square Garden in different ways. You got a chance to see MSG the locker rooms before the All Star Game in '98. Really, really cool. If you haven't seen the Last Dance, go do it. I'm absolutely hooked. And now I want to talk about how I had a chance to meet MJ, and this is a story that we as a family we always kind of just joke about, you know, my dad and I were always just kind of scratching our heads, but I'll start it off by with this. We go out to Phoenix to see my uncle who lives out there. And just so happens that the Washington wizards 
with Michael Jordan are playing the Phoenix Suns while we were in town. We got tickets. I was so excited. I was finally going to get a chance to see one of my favorite players of all time live, in person. So the morning before the game, we wake up in the hotel and my mom and my other sisters are, are sleeping in. My dad and I go out to grab coffee, go to Starbucks. It's just a, a family tradition thing that we kind of do. And we get up, we go for a walk. We're checking out uh, downtown Phoenix. And we, we stumble across the hotel where the Wizards were staying. And my dad just said, Kev, let's just hang out here outside the hotel for a couple minutes. See what happens. You never know. He may, he may come out. He may not. Sure enough, who comes out in a gray pinstripe suit is Michael Jordan. That dude looked beyond cool. It was almost like seeing God in some sort of way. He was someone that I just looked up to so much. And sports fans in general, I mean, this was Michael Jordan. And I remember standing there in front of the, the entrance to the hotel and seeing the whole team going to the bus. And there's MJ. And my dad just, I remember him kind of like nudging me. He was like, what are you doing? Come on, go, go see what happens. No media there. There was no one there besides us and the Wizards. And I just, I froze. Couldn't do it. I backed out. Couldn't do it. I was too nervous. And this was back in 2002. So I was in fourth grade. And... I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And so finally he gets on the bus and we watch them drive away. We go to the game that night. And of course, game come game comes down to the wire tie game, 10 seconds left. Who's got the ball in their hands? Michael Jordan, who hits the game winning shot, Michael Jordan. That was so awesome. What was amazing was, yeah, it was, a, it was an away game for the, for the wizards, but everyone was on their feet. They cheered. I mean, it was Michael Jordan. That doesn't happen very often with many athletes. He is glo- he is loved globally. And I thought it was also really cool to see the behind the scenes footage of the Dream Team as well. You know, to kind of hear about Magic and Michael going at it on the Dream Team during practice was was pretty was pretty damn cool. And in this episode, the big topic today is going to be baseball. I know we just had a little basketball talk there. I had to get my basketball in there. But the big topic today is going to be baseball. And we're going to be chatting with Gabrielle, who started Girl at the Game. It's a blog and a podcast about baseball and women in sports. But it's also about the Red Sox. She is one of the biggest Red Sox fans I think I've ever met. And we had a chance to meet last summer just because we both work in the media up here in Boston. And I remember we went to a game together. It was a Red Sox Giants game at Fenway. And we're sitting there and we're getting, you know, we're just getting to know each other. And I was just amazed by how much baseball knowledge she has. She knows so much, not just about the history of the Red Sox, not just about the history of Fenway, but just about history of baseball in general. And we were sitting there breaking down you know, different scenarios uh, of the game that we were watching in front of us. And what was also cool was the great Red Sox, Carl, Carl Yastrzemski, his nephew was playing right field for the Giants. I felt like I, I went back to school that night. She really taught me a lot of things about the Red Sox that I didn't know. We realized that, yes, we're, we're two friends who like very polar opposite teams, but, you know, we were talking about different things about baseball and, and just enjoying being at the ballpark at the end of the day. And what was so what was so unique, and we're we're gonna talk about this during the interview, is how similar it was for the two of us when we fall, finally fell in love with baseball 
And it was at a very young age. You know, she grew up in, in Boston, just down the road from Fenway. So she was at Fenway a lot as a little kid. And she mentioned to me how she always sat in the same four seats with her family. And I said to her, I said, you know, that's funny you say that because I've sat in the same four seats with my family, but at Yankee Stadium. We're going to chat about that, her story about going to Fenway as a kid and just falling in love with baseball is really, really cool. And to hear about how she decided to come up with Girl at the Game, because now she's got a huge following on social media and she writes just you know about women in sports and following baseball and just being an avid Red Sox fan. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with Gabrielle. I think you guys are going to like this, especially if you're a baseball fan. But I think even if you're not a baseball fan, you're really going to almost feel inspired in some sort of ways to hear about Gabrielle's story, about her growing up. She had spent time living in Israel, and now she's back in the United States, back here in Boston, cheering for her favorite team of all time, which is the Boston Red Sox. Now, before we chat with Gabrielle, I did have a request for from a friend who wanted me to tell the story of my time in Detroit in 2005 for the All-Star Game. Now, you remember in episode one, I talked about how I caught the bug listening to game seven of an 03 ALCS between the Red Sox and the Yankees, had the radio under my pillow. Well, let's fast forward two years to 2005, Detroit, Michigan, Comerica Park, I'm in Detroit with my dad and my sister. We go for the All-Star game. It's our first All-Star game. We're so excited. We go to the Home Run Derby. We see Bobby Abreu, at the time, break the record for most home runs in a single round. You know, we're sitting in right field. These baseballs are just flying over our heads. Really, really fun night. Now, the next day, the next morning, we get up and we go to FanFest. And if you're not familiar with FanFest, it's... It's usually at wherever city it is, it's at the convention center. And it's just a, a great way for families to uh, get involved. And, you know, there's interactive games, there's meet and greets with players. It's just a fun time. And so we're walking around trying different things. We're, you know, taking swings, taking pictures, meeting players. And I remember stopping in my tracks because there was a broadcast booth set up for fans who wanted to simulate a a historic game or a historic moment. I grabbed my dad by a shirt. I said, dad, dad, come on. We got to, we got to do this. I got to do this. We wait in line. We wait in line, finally get our turn. And the deal was we had to pick from a list of memorable moments in major league baseball history. I don't even think I looked, or I don't even remember. I don't even think I looked at the rest of the list because immediately I saw Aaron Boone home run, Game 7, 2003, ALCS. I could not have picked that faster. Tape starts to roll. We're ready to roll. And my dad and I just sat there. I was play-by-play and he was color. And we just had a blast. And I remember we were done. We were walking down the ramp. And you could you could have a chance to own your, your tape on VHS. Yes, VHS. You heard that correctly. We wait online for that. And the guy grabbed my dad. He said, Hey, how, you know, your son's good at this. How old is he at the time? 2005, I was maybe 11, 12. And he just said, you know, I, your son is very talented at this, you know, definitely, you know, see, see if you can be, become a broadcaster one day. 
And I just remember like lighting up. I was like, oh my God, yes, you know, this is so cool. I love that. You know, this is something I want to do. And that was such a memorable trip because, you know, we did the broadcast booth and we called Aaron Boone's home run and we did ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Just like John Sterling does for the Yankee broadcast. Such a fun moment. We go to the All-Star game. We have a great trip. We go home. And I I left that All-Star game not thinking that I was going to be doing that. And I walked away with a new dream, a new goal in mind. And I found that to be so fun and so cool. And as we chat with Gabrielle, you're going to hear some similar stories about her her childhood and how she got so excited about baseball and how she wanted to just write about it and be a podcast host about it. But before we jump into the interview with Gabrielle, I want to tell you guys about Anchor. It's free and honestly, who doesn't love free? There's free tools to help make your podcast from your phone or your computer. And the best part, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a ton of other platforms. Download the Anchor FM app today. It's free. All right. Welcome back to the KJC podcast. This week on episode two, baseball. It's my favorite sport. And this guest that I have on this week is someone who I think is probably safe to say the biggest Red Sox fan or baseball fan on the planet. It's Gabrielle. She's the founder of Girl at the Game a podcast host for Girl to Game podcast and Locked On Red Sox as well. Also freelancer for Fangraphs. Gabrielle, how you doing? How you hey, making Kev. out? How you making out with what's going on? Everything that's going on in the world. Um, day to day, just trying to take it day to day by day and um, focus on mental health. Trying to do more yoga and less Twitter and just. <laughs> hey, um, if if you, you do have a great Twitter, I got I got to give you props for that. You are one of the few people who seem to think that, but thank you. Whoa. Hey, mad props for your Twitter game. It is, it is on, it is on every day. I just, that's something that you're, you always seem to be on my timeline. It's just, I either catch up on new gifts, new Red Sox news. It's, it's what I, it's just what I need when I, when I get on Twitter. Well, thanks buddy. I mean, it's kind of like <laughs> Michael Jordan said last night in the last dance. I don't, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. I don't have a social media problem. I just have a baseball problem. <laughs> so you've been, so you've been watching the last dance. What are your, what are your thoughts on the last dance? I am loving it. Um, I actually was not a huge basketball fan until the last year. Uh, I feel like everyone has this kind of story of like how they fell in love with a certain sport or a certain team. And I would go to like one or two Celtics games every year, but the Red Sox kind of just like consumed my entire existence. And so I was like, I don't really have room in my life for another team on this level. I don't really have the time, whatever. And then the 2019 Red Sox were just so frustrating um, that that coupled with Kemba joining the Celtics. I was like, the minute I read Kemba's Players Tribune thing about why he was coming to the Celtics, I just had kind of like that moment where I locked in and I was like, I love this man. I love this team. Let's go. And I've been to like, I went to like 12 Celtics games this year, including yeah, preseason been, games. Yeah, you were posting a lot of photos from from the garden. You know, I'm. It's very refreshing to kind of immerse yourself in a new sport. Um, it's like I I just find the NBA to be um, a very different like social media environment and a very different sports environment than baseball. They market their sports so well. 
Um, the Celtics this year are such a likable group of guys. And um, you just like, it's nice when you have a team of guys that you want to root for, like they're very likable right. and endearing to the fan base. And it's just been a real joy. And then as a person who loves history, I've always been a big fan of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, seeing him in Airplane as a kid, that's one of my favorite movies. And I was like, I know that guy. And so I've watched like hundreds of hours of Kareem interviews, Kareem lectures, um, Kareem footage. And I've just been kind of immersing myself in Kareem and MJ. And like, I love how you had me on the show to talk about baseball and we're just talking about basketball. But <laughs> it, it's just it's just like nice to kind of... Uh, take like take a step outside your like comfort zone and um i'm just having so much fun with it and loving all the history and jordan magic kareem like wilt they're all such incredible players kobe obviously um it's just it's nice to like fall in love with something new sometimes you know, and you can oh, still I, love the yeah. other thing too, but it's like, I've really had so much fun immersing myself in basketball over the last year now. Is it just me? And I'm so glad you brought up airplane because that is one of my favorite movies as well. Don't call me Shirley. Was it, is it just me or that beginning of episode five with Kobe? I mean, chills just ran down my, my body. I mean, for any sports fan, I feel like that moment in the beginning where, you know, they really went in on, Kobe and MJ I mean I just got chills they really like they didn't we all knew from last week that this was going to be the week that Kobe made his first appearance but they really didn't even give us a second he's in the first like minute of the episode and you're just like oh wow so they're really going for it and then of course you've got like Kobe footage for you know interviews with him from a year or so ago whenever they were doing those like interviews with the retired players and and I it was just so crazy. Like somebody tweeted and they were like, I'm never going to fully accept that Kobe is gone. And it was crazy. Cause my boyfriend and I had said the same thing when we were watching it, we were like, it's just really weird that Kobe's gone. David Stern is gone. Um, like it, it's kind of like, do you, did you, did you ever watch scrubs? You know, I only watched a few episodes. Okay. Well, first of all, you have the free time now, so I highly recommend. Um, but it's one of my favorite shows of all time. And one of the, um, not like main characters, but one of the pretty central supporting cast members passed away a couple days ago of brain cancer. And I was watching an episode of Scrubs and he was in it. And it's just like really weird to watch things knowing that the person you're watching is now gone. And I had that same feeling again last night watching Kobe where it's like, this guy who was larger than life, he's like on my screen, he's talking to us, but he's not here anymore. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And folks, this is what a typical conversation of what Gabrielle, Gabrielle and I kind of face when we see each other. It's, oh, let's talk baseball, but then it just goes into something completely different. And now we're talking about basketball. <laughs> but I... You know, sitting with you last year at that Red Sox game, I, oh God. That, that's well, well, that's when we first we first met. And I was amazed because, you know, it, it really was refreshing to sit next to someone at a baseball game. You know, I was with my two buddies who who really don't like baseball that much. They were just there because it's Fenway Park. And, you know, I think they were there for the beers. But I, sitting next to you, you were able to really make me feel like I was going back in time and history. Oh God. And 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 with this podcast, I think that's. 
that's something that uh, it's a theme where I think you, for everyone who, every guest that I have on, we kind of dive into where you fell in love. And you did uh, mention that just a short time ago, how you fell in love with sports, but specifically with baseball. When, when was it? When was there a certain time? Was there a certain game? When did you fall in love with baseball? Well, I think like a lot of New Englanders, it's kind of like you just, you don't even have, you might have like a moment when you realize you fell in love with a specific player or a specific years, year of your team. But I think a lot of New Englanders and also Yankees fans like yourself, you know, if you grow up in a family with baseball fans, it's just assumed that you're a baseball fan. Like I am a third generation Bostonian and my great uncle who will be 102 in June grew up watching like Babe Ruth when he was playing and managing for the Boston Braves at the end of his career. And he's like the biggest baseball fan. And my dad's a baseball fan. And he was at the the world series game when Yaz had a multi-homer game. And so when I wanted to go to bed, my dad, who's a rabbi, his two options for bedtime stories were either a sports bedtime story or a Jewish, like a Torah bedtime story. So going to Jewish school all day, you can assume I chose sports. And so I would hear about Ted Williams and I would hear about the Negro leagues and all this kind of stuff. And so I don't really remember, like it, it kind of loving baseball has always kind of just been there. And, um, we live, my parents live right down the street from Fenway Park. So, um, you know, we go every year. My mom's law firm has season tickets. So I grew up sitting in the same seats every year of my life. And there was something now looking back on that, there's something really special about the fact that I got a little bit older every year and the players changed. But every year when spring came around, my family would walk up the street, you know, it's like half a mile. We'd walk there get our snacks, sit in exactly the same seats every year and baseball would be back. And I think about that a lot lately because there's no sports and it just feels like such a disruption, obviously in the least insensitive way I can say that possible. Sports Fenway Park was something I marked my year around every year since I can remember. And so not having that, like, like going like we walk our puppy at Fenway so that she can be around Fenway since she's not allowed in no matter what time of year it is. <laughs> and it's like, it's mid-May almost, or it's the beginning of May and there's no baseball. And like this weekend, I, you know, I still have all the calendar updates on my phone for, um, for games. Cause I can't bring myself to turn it off. And I was like, you know, Saturday was like 70 degrees and sunny and it was perfect spring Fenway weather to like go with all your friends, maybe grab some drinks at, you know, cask and flag in beforehand or go to Tony C's for a drink, go to the game, then go have a dinner or, you know, just go out to a bar. And like, it's really, it's, it, I have to say it was a lot easier when the weather was bad and it was like, all right, I don't mind being inside cause I hate the cold, but now it's hitting, it's hitting me hard now that the weather is getting nice that it's just like this thing that I do every single year is just not happening right now. And I love how, sorry, that was so long. <laughs> no, no, that's totally. And that's, that's what I mean. That's what, that, that's the kind of story that I love. And what you mentioned, how you sat in that same seat uh, for however many years, are you still sitting in those yeah. seats? We literally, That's... literally since I was like two, um, my mom's been working at the same law firm since I was two and a half years old when she went back to work or three years old. And, um, 
they've always had those seats and I've sat, it's, it's four seats and there are four of us in my family. So, you know, it's crazy. Like I have, I have pictures in the same seats, like my awkward phases in those seats, my, my like (laughs) teenage wearing too much eyeliner phases in those seats. Um, (laughs) like all of it. That's so cool. And so my, I have a similar story to, to that. And it's, you know, my dad, my parents grew up in the Bronx and my dad would take the four train to go see the Yankees and the old Yankee stadium, you know, for day night, double headers. And he'd stay in the Bronx all day, all night. And finally, I think it was around in 96 when the, when the Yankees won in 96, he kind of said to himself, you know, that's it. I, I need to get uh, season tickets and we're, we're just going to do this. It looks like the Yankees are about to go on a run here. And smart man. From 97 smart man from 97 until today. Uh, he's kept those season tickets. Now the stadium has obviously changed, but we sat in those same four seats and on the right behind third base on the second level we were covered. So my mom would, was able to go to these games and, and not get rained on, but it, it really says something about baseball being a family tradition and do you remember your first Red Sox game at all? I, for me, it's hard to remember my first Yankee game, but do you remember the sights and sounds? Do you really remember when it first hit you that you were at Fenway? You know, I really, I don't because I was so young when we started going there, but I, I do know that going into Fenway every time I still feel the same way that I remember feeling as a little kid. And this is like, I'm talking the week that you and I hung out at the Giants game. That was my third game in like four days. I was <laughs> exhausted beyond belief. And, but I still, you know, when you go from the concourse and you walk up one of the ramps to, you know, the, the walking area behind like the first base, behind the first baseline seats, um, and you see the field and the sky and everything and the the facade with the banners on it and like the the plastic little flag banner things on the Fenway Park thing behind the press box. I'm doing a really terrible job at describing the most beautiful place <laughs> in the world. It's fine. Um, I still am in awe. I still feel like this kid who somehow was transported into the most beautiful snow globe in the entire world, hopefully without the snow, though I've been there for snow games too. Um, and so it's nice that even though, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how in the office, Andy says, I wish there was a way to tell, to know that you were in the good old days before you left them. Um, yes. So it's like, I feel that way about two things really, or three things, Star Wars, Harry Potter and baseball, where I wish I could remember the crystallizing moment when I fell in love with this thing completely. And it just totally like overwhelmed my entire being, but I can't because I was so little. And so it's just been like who I am for my entire life. But I will say the one thing that, um, the one thing that made me really happy this year was one of the first pictures I have of myself as a little baby, I'm wearing this shirt. That's like a green monster t-shirt. It's like a white t-shirt um, with like a, an early illustration of Wally, but it was before Wally even happened in the late nineties. This was like 94, 95. And I'm like a baby wearing a very oversized shirt that clearly was not meant for me. Um, and I loved this shirt so much. And I found it on eBay this winter in an adult size, extra large. And so I bought it and it's exactly the same shirt. 
And when it came, when it, it came in the mail, I literally cried because this is a shirt that I, this is probably my first Red Sox shirt I've ever had. And it's like, I'm wearing it in photos with my grandfather who passed away when I was three and I'm wearing it on the beach. It was like something I loved. And I remember wearing it. Like I, I, it's one of my earliest memories. I don't remember going to Fenway for the first time, but I remember wearing that shirt because it's an illustration of the, of the green monster as a real monster holding a giant baseball bat. And I remember being scared of it, but like oddly fascinated by it. And so I would look down at my shirt, kind of be a little scared of it, look away. And then I'd look back down at it back and forth as like a little, like a toddler. And I found, oh, so I cool. found that shirt. Right. On, it was on Amazon. It was on eBay. Someone was selling it eBay. on eBay and um, it just made me so happy. And the other thing I have to tell you, because you're my resident Yankee fan, I have, I don't know if it's just that there's no baseball or that I'm just, I wouldn't say softening on the Yankees, but I went to Yankee Stadium for the first time last May, end of May, and the food is good. <laughs> I did not enjoy losing, going to a losing game, but the food is really good. What did you have? That's that I mean that's the most important question. What did you have? Well, to, to be fair, they also kind of de facto like they win by default because Fenway hasn't had a veggie burger since 2017. They just <laughs> got rid of their whole veggie burger stand. I don't know why, but I had the jumbo mozzarella sticks. I went really hard because it was like the week before my birthday. So I had jumbo mozzarella sticks. I had a, like a giant pretzel and I had a veggie burger and I had sushi. Oh, you had this. I see. I, I've been going to Yankee games at Yankee Stadium since it opened in 09. I have yet to try the sushi. How was it? It was good. I mean, I don't eat fish. So I had like veggie sushi. And I feel like that's a safer okay. bet because I'm not risking like salmonella or whatever. Um, or whatever the fish version of can you get? Is that just an egg thing? I don't know. Um, but you know, <laughs> eating know. vegetables, it's safer, I feel like. But it, we had, um, we had like a veggie roll that we shared my best friend and I, who is a diehard Yankees fan. Um, and I was like, you know, the food here is good. Um, and the other thing I'll say is that as a lover of history, I totally would have gone to an old Yankee stadium game in a heartbeat. My dad always wanted to take me and I was like, no, I don't want to go. I hate them. Um, but as a history lover and as someone who is weirdly a Thurman Munson fan for like only the reason that I read a, an article about him once in like a 1999 issue of Esquire um, would have loved to go to old Yankee stadium. I, 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 I'll tell you this. I, I miss it every day. Um, I definitely tear up every time I, uh, you know, watch an old game. Like they just had the 03 ALCS game seven on with Aaron Boone and I couldn't help but just like, you know, really study the sights and sounds because it's not around anymore. And it's, you know, I, I think the new Yankee Stadium is, yes, it's, it's, it's beautiful. They, you know, they put a lot of uh, hard, you know, a lot, clearly a lot of money yeah. in it. And they, you know, it's, it's a, it's a nice stadium, but it just, the feel of it's different. You don't get that feel like you do at Fenway. And I got to tell you, no matter what time of the year it is, I get that feel at Fenway. It could be a, a game in, it could be a game in May and it against the, the Blue Jays. And it's going to still have that playoff type feel. Now you mentioned the green monster. 
Is there a specific part of Fenway Park that you love the most? Oh, God. Um, at this point, so I, you know, growing up, I sat in the same seats every year. And aside from, you know, if I went with like, <laughs> my synagogue is also very close to Fenway and it's affiliated with the Red Sox um, to the point where Uke and Kapler used to come to my synagogue on the high holidays, which was the funniest sight because you have these two, like some baseball players are not big. Like Ichiro is not a big guy, but Kapler and Uke are like these big hulking muscular guys. And especially during their playing right. days, seeing them trying to fit into like the synagogues, like prayer shawls that you can borrow just like in the back of the synagogue was the funniest thing as like a little kid, because there's just like these two giant guys who so stuck out like sore thumbs. It was hilarious. Um, my synagogue would go every year for like their, I don't know if it's called like Jewish heritage night or so they have like a thing. One game a year is like um, either Israel night or like Jew, Jew night or something. I don't really know. Um, but aside from that, I had always sat in the same seats uh, with my family. And so the last couple of years, whether people have offered me tickets or I've gone with friends or I've paid for my own tickets or, you know, been gifted tickets by someone at the Sox, I try to sit everywhere at the ballpark because I want to experience different places. I am not partial to the bleacher seats during the day, just because, um, the sun sets like right in your eyes. And so you're basically just staring into the sun for at least an hour of the game and that I get really bad migraines. So I can't do that. I love the, um, the upper decks. Like, I guess it would be called state street pavilion right now. They keep changing the names of everything. This <laughs> is so hard to keep track. Um, but I love sitting on the upper decks. The Sam Adams deck is really fun. But if I had to choose, like, I'm honestly partial to sitting right underneath the overhang, either on the first baseline or the third baseline, because you're close enough to see things very clearly, even for someone like me who doesn't have great eyesight. Um, but you're far enough away that you can see everything that's happening and you're safe if it rains. Um, like you said, for your family season tickets, ours are also like the first or second row underneath the overhang. So we're protected, which has been very convenient over the years. Um, but I, I always tell people, because people ask me on Twitter, they'll be like, where's the best place to sit? And I'm like, you honestly really can't go wrong. There's very few places at Fenway that you don't have a absolutely, absolutely stunning view. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful places in the entire world to me. And I love that Yankees fans like you and my best friend and someone I used to work with out in LA, who's also a diehard Yankees fan from Jersey, They've all said the same thing. They're like, Fenway Park is one of the best places to watch a baseball game ever. And that's as Yankees fans. Oh, oh without a doubt. I, you know, I, I've, yet to be, I've yet to go to Wrigley. Wrigley is top of my list. And there's a lot of ballparks on my list that I want to get to. But Fenway is I'm – gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say it. It's, it's my favorite. It's number one. You, you, heard it, you heard it here first. A Yankee fan is saying that Fenway Park – is his favorite ballpark. Are, are you okay with that? I'm so okay with that because you know what? At the end of the day, baseball is supposed to be the thing that unites all of us. And above all of like the pet the pettiness and the rivalry, I mean, we all are people who love baseball, or at least that's how I think it should be. And that's one of the things that bums me out about social media, just to say, is because like I'll get Yankees fans who are so horribly mean to me in my mentions. And I'm like, dude, I'm just here loving baseball. I'm not even talking about your team. Like I'm talking about my team and you get 
fans from multiple different fan bases across sports t- baseball Twitter who instead of enjoying and celebrating their own team or even complaining about their own team, which I do plenty, um, they're focusing so much on other people and other people's teams and other people's opinions about their own teams. And it's like, well, you know, I get it. It's social media, whatever we put out there, you're inviting responses just by existing on social media. But it's like, I'm not even, you know, like I'm not focusing on the Yankees. I'm focusing on, you know, David Ortiz and he's been retired for three years. Like, calm down <laughs> calm down people now outside of outside of Fenway is what's your what's your favorite ballpark outside of Fenway well you know it's funny because I I lived in I don't I don't know if you know this I lived in Israel for various parts of my childhood and teenagehood um so I was not always in the U.S. but and when I was, I wasn't like traveling to go see ballparks because it was kind of like a when you have the best, you don't need the rest kind of vibe in my house where it was like, well, we live right down the street from Fenway. So why, you know, why why go anywhere else? I am also mm-hmm. dying to go to a Wrigley game. I've been to Wrigley Field during the off season, but I haven't been. And we were actually going to go for the Sox-Cubs series in June for my birthday. And thankfully, we did not buy those plane tickets or buy any of that stuff because I <laughs> don't think that's happening. Um, I love Dodger stadium. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. And, um, I really want to go to, are they still calling it Oracle park or did they change the name of the, uh, the, the AT&T it's, yeah, or it's... what? I want to go to the giants ballpark. I've been to the Coliseum, <laughs> uh, which is, is honestly not a great ballpark to watch a game. Um, great veggie burger though for $14 for $14. Um, yeah, I really want to go see a giants game in San Francisco. I love San Francisco so much, but the last two times I was there, the giants were out of town, unfortunately. Um, and I have heard really great things about, um, Petco park. That's the, Oh, are they still calling it Petco park? It's still Petco right. Park. So I've, I've I've been to Petco and I've been to – it's now Oracle. It was AT&T when I went. And those two ballparks, breathtaking. Yeah. We – I mean, I was so impressed with both. I think I think Oracle just has a slight edge just because, you know, you we went for a night game, but, you know, first pitch was around 6 o'clock, so you caught the sunset. It was, I mean, immaculate, and it was, you know – they were playing the Nationals, so we went early. My dad and I went early, and we got to see Bryce Harper hit, you know, batting practice, and he was hitting shots uh, over into uh, McCovey Cove. And at that ballpark, you, you got to do it. I, I highly recommend going to San Fran and San Diego. Those two ballparks are absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, I'm super bummed I didn't get to go to Petco. I actually, in the two years I was living in L.A., I think I only went all the way down to San Diego once, um, and it was during the off season. I also have to say, have you ever been to a game at Angel Stadium? I haven't, no. And I've heard I've heard mixed things. I've heard some people really like it. Some people say it's kind of like getting old and dirty. All right. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's definitely not one of the fancier ballparks. But having grown up at Fenway Park, it's like, you know, where I literally trained myself not to pee for the first, like, 15 years I was alive because I didn't – the bathrooms were so gross. They're a lot better now. <laughs> um, Angel Stadium <laughs> is – kind of 
a nice like older ballpark um it's not super fancy the amenities are not you know like yankee stadium or whatever but for starters it's super affordable um i think the last time i was there the parking was like 15 dollars, and um you know as a fenway like i don't ever drive to fenway but the fenway parking is like 50 bucks um it's also if you sit on the upper decks if you're up in the upper decks late in the game you'll see the fireworks at disneyland so that's real pretty and um it's a you know it's a nice west coast ballpark it's kind of it you kind of feel like you're back in like the 80s or 90s when you go there and um it's it's just like a nice place to take in a game i've i've gone to a bunch of games there plus obviously you know you go see mike trout hit uh giant home runs into the weird little waterfall thing that they have in the outfield which is cool and it's just nice. I I liked it. Um, also, a lot less of a hassle than Dodger Stadium, which was like five miles away from my apartment, but hassle. So we can sit here and talk talk about every single ballpark, probably till the cows come home. But I really want to dive into how you started Girl at the Game, because this is such a unique website that you started and uh, social media presence. How did you come up with this idea? How did you get, you know, how did you get it all started? Um. Honestly, it just kind of happened. I know that sounds crazy, but it's one of those things like we talked about earlier with crystallizing moments where you don't always know something big is happening when it's happening because it doesn't seem, you know, a lot of times a big thing is actually small in the moments that comprise it. And um, what had happened was, uh, do you know Dr. Charles Steinberg? He's the president of the Paw Sox and um, former EVP of the Red Sox. Yes. Yeah. So he's a, he goes to our synagogue. So I've known him since I was a kid and we became very like close kind of, he's kind of mentored me and, um, you know, takes me to Red Sox games and one of the loveliest people ever. And you should have him on the show. Cause he has incredible stories. Cause he's worked for like a bunch of teams, including obviously the Red Sox and the Paw Sox or the Woo Sox. But he took me to opening day 2017, and it was the first one without David Ortiz. And we had we would always end up, you know, we'd go have coffee, and we would end up talking for five hours. And so we go to the game. David Ortiz isn't there. And it just, like, the, the vibe in the air at Fenway that day was so weird, and I didn't know how to put it into words. So I just sat down and wrote. I was working as a freelance beauty writer and um, lifestyle and health and wellness writer while also working at a tech startup in Boston, right down the street from the garden, actually on Canal Street. And I was just freelancing, writing about beauty and health and stuff to make extra money. And because I liked writing, but I sat down and the words just kind of like flowed out of me. I was like writing about how I was feeling, writing about missing David Ortiz, writing about how weird it was to hear Hanley being called up as the DH. And I sent it to Charles and he writes back and he goes, you're a sports writer. And I was like, no, I'm not. I, I, I work at a tech company. I, I do like marketing. I, what are you talking about? And he's like, I want you to keep writing. He said, just when something makes you feel something, write about it and send it to me. And one of the things he actually asked me to do was write about the moment I fell in love with baseball. And it's like we talked about, you know, you don't always remember a singular moment. You just know that you're going to love it forever. And I just started writing. And then in the, um, in the summer of 2017, he's like, you really need to like, you know, put these places and do stuff. And I just on a whim, cause I already knew how to build a WordPress website from building them for other people, which was like another side hustle I was doing. 
I built a website and I was like, trying to figure out what to call it. And first I was going to call it Gabrielle at the game. And then I thought, well, no, because um, at the end of the day, I'm just another girl at the game. And so I just wrote, like said, all right, it's called girl at the game um, for all the girls at the game who don't have a voice in sports. Um, and that was it. And I didn't really think very much of it. I was mostly just writing about how I felt and the early stuff on the website is super personal and um, not a lot of it. I, like it's, I love reading it now, but I'm kind of like, wow, this is so different from how I write now. But when I started Girl at the Game, I had like 240 followers on Twitter and um, nobody knew who I was. And it's funny now because I have time hop on my phone and it tells me what I've done every day, every year on this day. And I'll like have a tweet right. from tw 2009 about like how David Ortiz is the greatest thing to ever happen in Boston. And then I'll have a tweet from like three years later that says exactly the same thing. And it makes me really <laughs> happy because it shows me that um, I, part of me is essentially still the same year after year um, as these things have happened. And I just started getting, gaining followers uh, just talking about how much I either loved or was frustrated by the Red Sox. And here I am. I don't know. It's, it's great. I truly <laughs> never thought that it was going to be anything more than a hobby. Um, but it was kind of one of those moments where like all the puzzle pieces finally unjumbled themselves and fit together. And I was like, all I want to do for the rest of my life is write about and talk about sports with whoever will listen to me obsess over them. Now with girl, the game, it obviously emphasizes women in sports. You've gotten to chat with some pretty, well-known women in sports like Jess Mendoza of ESPN. Is there someone who you've had gotten a chance to interview, chat with that really stands out the most? Well, I would have to say Jess Mendoza probably because, um, and this is something Girl at the Game's new podcast is going to be doing a lot. Our first, our first episode was with Jess Mendoza. Our second one was with Anna Horford, sister of former Celtics player Al Horford. And the third episode that comes out this week is with Sarah Sivian of The Athletic. Um, the ho she's a great hockey writer. Um, it's to highlight amazing voices, uh, amazing women's voices in sports, though. We also have a ton of great male guests who are coming on, including yourself. But Jess Mendoza, for me, was kind of like the peak. You know, she was the Mount Everest of women in sports because her journey was unusual and very pioneering. She deals with so much flack and criticism and hatred and bullying every single day. The double standards that she endures are absolutely infuriating as someone who also deals with double standards and someone who has been rooting for her for such a long time. And throughout all of it, she remains such a classy and inspiring and warm person. And she is always trying to help women in sports who are like of kind of not the next generation because she's not old, but like young women in sports who are making their way. And so I've had, I've had like three opportunities to interview her now. And we've, you know, done some emailing back and forth as well. And she's just always like such a supportive person. And you, you can't say that about everyone in this industry. In fact, you can't say that about a lot of people in this industry. But the first time I really recognized that she was so special was on a media call with ESPN. And it was her and A-Rod um, taking questions. 
and this young woman who was in college who was interning for, I think, a Providence um, news outlet was clearly very nervous to ask her this, but she mustered up the courage and asked Jess if she could talk to her privately at another time for a school project that she was doing for college. And Jess was like, of course, absolutely, we will set it up. And she was just like totally put the girl at ease. And I was like, this woman's different. And it's not it's not just like the lovely person that she, you know, the face that she puts onto the world. It's like she genuinely wants to help people and she genuinely wants sports to be for everyone. And it's really an honor to know that, um, you know, she is a fan of what I'm doing and that I can talk to her about things that I'm dealing with because sometimes this industry can be super lonely. I completely agree with that. And I love that photo of you two in the press box at Fenway. I mean, that is a keeper between you I and I love Jess. that one too. Thank you. Yeah, that's actually um, batting practice for Sox Yankee Sunday Night Baseball. Oh, well, yeah. there you go. Is there another? And that's the only another... one that we lost. <laughs> we blew the <laughs> series sweep on that game. And I was like going to lose my mind. <laughs> I, I mean, we were dying to have that Yankee Red Sox rivalry back. But is there a another voice out there that maybe it's, it's a player, maybe it's someone on the Red Sox who you got to interview? Who's been someone that is, just stands out the most that you had such a unique conversation with? Well, so I haven't actually interviewed him yet, but I know him. We've become friendly over the years um, because we met at – a charity baseball game in 2017, like a few weeks into girl at the game, actually Keith folk um, is just such a great guy. He's so friendly. He's so smart. He's so proud of what he did for the city of Boston. And um, he came to the game. He wasn't even like, I don't know if you've ever covered this game um, for work, but they always have a celebrity Sox player ideally a Sox player appear in you know an inning or two of this game and it's to raise money it's in Cambridge at St. Petersfield it's to raise money every year for a different cause the last few years it's been um for ALS in honor of John Martin from Nesson but so like it you know Pedro Tim Wakefield this year was Clemens and I help out at this game and Keith Volk just came because um he knew some of the guys that were going to play in it and we got to talking and he's actually coming on the show tomorrow, but he is just, he recognizes the role that he played. He recognizes how much it meant to the fans of the city of Boston. And, you know, you see a lot of athletes who are either apathetic or, you know, it's, it's more about the money for them. And I get that. And I wish I was making millions of dollars too, but I really appreciate so much the athletes who understand what they mean to their fans. I agree with that. And Keith Folk, you know, the former closer for the Red Sox, and he was a big part of that 04 team. It's funny when we were growing up, you would probably hate him. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's, it's got, it still stings 04, but I remember growing up with my buddies in the backyard, we would imitate, you know, we'd get the bat, we'd imitate, Ken Griffey and we imitate Gary Sheffield swing, but we'd also, when we pitched to each other, we kind of do the, we'd imitate pitchers and, you know, Keith Folk had such a unique delivery when he was pitching. And that was someone who we definitely would, cause I had a lot of Red Sox friends growing up and that's someone who we would, 
we would definitely, you know, imitate on the field. But you mentioned Roger Clemens. Did you have a chance to chat with him? I actually did. Um, We actually hung out quite a bit during that game because um, it's, it's, it's funny aside from, and you'll appreciate this because you're Yankees fan, Yogi Berra's granddaughter, Lindsay plays in this game every year. She's awesome. Yeah. She's great. But aside from her, the last three years, I have been the only woman allowed in the dugout at this charity game. I, um, I kind of just like make sure everything's running smoothly and I, um, do social media and I promote it and, um, I interview players and I write articles about it. Um, the game's run by Steve Buckley from the athletic formerly of the Herald. And he is also someone who is, has been incredibly wonderful and kind of mentor in a mentorship role to me. So Clemens and I actually got to chat a little bit. First of all, he's enormous. He is so tall. <laughs> like I'm five, six, which is pretty tall for um, a woman. The national height average for women is like five, two, and I'm five, six. You see these guys on TV and, and you're like, okay, they look like big guys, but Clemens is enormous. He is, he's like Andre the giant in princess bride to me. Um, and he was super nice. He uh, showed up with his entourage, which like understandable he's Roger Clemens. Um, but he spent a lot of time talking to all the players and, uh, you know, he obviously brought like his bag with his special, like his mitt. I have these pictures. I have to send them to you. His mitt was like hand embroidered with like, um, I think it actually said the rocket on it. It was like, you know, he had all this cool stuff and he was just talking to all these guys. A lot of the guys who play in this game are like Cape league guys, college guys. And, um, he was just letting them ask him questions. And then he pitched, I think, two or three innings, still throwing strikes. Guys could not hit him. Um, yeah. Oh. And, you know, and people always wonder. It's like, because the same thing with Pedro and with Wake. It's like, these guys have all been retired for at least a couple years now. And some of them a lot more, like Clemens. And you're like, all right, can they still bring it? And they bring it. They really, like, Pedro was only supposed to throw one inning in 2017. He's like, no, I'm going back out there. And he pitched again for, like, another inning or two. And then and then Clemens moved over and played first base. Oh, he, like, is, he wanted, he wanted to keep, out, you got to come this summer. I hope they still do it. They hope they still do it. It's every August at St. Peter's Field in, um, in Cambridge. Clemens did not want to leave this game. He's like, I'll play first base. So he, like, moved, they moved the guy. They took the guy who's playing first out of the game so that Clemens could play. And it was, it was kind of a, a little bittersweet to see that because it's like, you know, these guys miss this game so much that he's like, it's Roger Clemens and just like a, a small, small kind of old world baseball kind of feel. The game, the, the event's literally called the old time baseball game. And they all wear vintage, like authentic uniforms from teams that haven't existed for, you know, at least five decades. Um, there's actually a kid who wears Ted Williams jersey and Ted Williams pants, like literally his pants. That's that's yeah, it's awesome. Cr- it's awesome. It's so much fun and so special. But like, this was not like you know a big thing. This wasn't like a big fancy, you know, celebrity charity event. It's like kind of a special, unique, small town feel to it. People just bring lawn chairs and folding chairs and towels and sit on the sidelines on the grass. And uh, Clemens just wanted to keep playing. And you're kind of like, you know what? He probably really misses it. Do you think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? You know. <sighs> I go back and forth because 
on the one hand, it's like, you know, you cheated other people because you're not just you're not just doing something dishonest for yourself. You cheated other people. Right. You cheated opposing pitchers who had to, you know, if you're a hitter like Barry Bonds, you know, you cheated the opposing pitchers who might have struck you out. Or if you're Clemens, you know, you're cheating batters out of things that ultimately can lead to them being more successful in their career and being able to provide for their families. Like not everybody is making Mike Trout money. And so, and that's something I come back to, obviously not to compare it at all to what the Astros did, but something I come back to with cheating in general is it doesn't just affect you. Like if you get caught cheating, it's not just you getting punished. It's all the people that you affected by cheating. And these guys who really are trying to make their way just to succeed at all in baseball, not even to be a superstar, if you affected the game that way, it's hard for me to say, like, you know, some of these are some of the greatest players of all time, but it's also like, well, you're also partially great because you did something that you weren't supposed to do. So were you really as great? And a lot of people online like to make the argument, you know, that there are people like Ty Cobb in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, okay, so because we have one murderous, racist jackass in the Hall of Fame, we're supposed to let other people who maybe, and I'm not comparing Ty Cobb, I'm just saying like people like to say there are already people in the Hall of Fame who maybe in this day and age don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Like Ty Cobb would never make it in the Hall of Fame now. He wouldn't even be playing baseball. He'd be in jail. Right. But just because he's already in there doesn't mean that you should keep adding more people who don't deserve. Like Pete Rose should not be in the Hall of Fame. He gambled and he also raped an underage girl. So, you know, like, don't argue with me that Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Someone like Clemens, you know, it's hard because they, he was the first pitcher in MLB history to strike out 20 batters in a nine inning game. And the anniversary of that was like last week, but you're like, okay, but the problem with using performance enhancing drugs is same thing with someone like Barry Bonds. You don't know the exact moment when they started cheating. So you can't pinpoint how much of their career is due to their actual talent and how much of their career is due to cheating. And look at it this way. I mean, when we were growing up, those guys were must see TV. I mean, I remember when Barry Bonds was going on that run, the late nineties and 2001 specifically when, you know, I remember when he came to Yankee stadium, it was, it was a huge deal. And I remember going to the Friday night game with my dad and Mike Mussino struck him out. And then the next day it was a day game. Ted Lilly was pitching for the Yankees and uh, Bonds hit a home run that I think is still, I think that went all the way across the river into Jersey. I mean, that thing just soared those guys were must-see TV. And I think it, at the time for us, we were still young or we just, we didn't know. We didn't know that steroids was really a thing yet. And we were just going along with it. Yeah, absolutely. And the, I mean, the other thing is, um, you know, there are other issues in baseball that I'm a lot more focused on. And the important clarification that ML, like the distinction that MLB makes is that steroids are an on-field issue, whereas things like domestic violence are an off-field issue. And I think that's absolutely crap because, you know, I understand like, yes, if a guy's sticking a needle in his ass or taking, you know, creatine or whatever, um, it's affecting their game. But I'm really sick of seeing bad human beings play the game that I love. It makes it really hard to defend 
You know, like when Stephen Wright was on the Red Sox and he was off, had come off that domestic violence suspension and yeah, it was only 15 games. And, you know, he only yelled at his wife and was like, okay, but you know what? They, they clearly found enough evidence to even suspend him in the first place or, you know, Araldus Chapman pitching for the Yankees. Cause after he choked his girlfriend and fired his gun into the wall of their house, it's like, and then you wonder why baseball has a likability problem. And for a lot of people, it's because there are, and the same thing with the NFL. And meanwhile, the NBA is like on top of the world because they've got awesome content, great marketing, and, and they're not making the bogus distinction that beating your wife is an off field issue. They're like, no, it's just wrong. Do you think someone like, look at Domingo Herman, for example, with the Yankees, you know, he's suspended for 80 games. I mean, you know, once, if we even have a season, it'll, it'll happen. But do you think someone like that, should there be a rule in place for MLB to say, listen, it's a one strike policy. If you do this crap, you're, you're gone. I mean, I think that, and people, people like to say, you know, all domestic abuse is the same. And first of all, it's not, it's all wrong, but it's not like getting the police called on you because you and your wife are shouting at each other um, is not the same thing as being like beaten by your significant other. It's, not acceptable Mm -hmm. but that's why that's why there isn't a blanket policy in terms of everyone gets the same amount of games because it's based on the findings of the investigation i do think that there should be a rule that depending on the finding of the investigation you you either have a one-strike policy or you can get banned for its entirety like i'm pretty sure odubel herrera is not coming back and you know I just, I really wish that these guys, that these teams valued like the importance of these players being role models, especially to kids. And I guarantee you that <laughs> there is another player who can play for your team who doesn't enjoy beating his spouse. Someone like there are so many good people Weber, who maybe. play this sport and do so much good in their off in their free time as well to make this world a better place and who would give anything to be in the game of baseball at this high level who aren't bad people off the field and and you know you say okay well you have a character clause for the hall of fame where if you're a bad person like kurt schilling i don't think is going to get into the hall of fame because he collects nazi memorabilia and he has said terrible things about everyone from trans people to islam like to muslims to reporters and that's why the character clause exists it's like okay well so you have a character clause for the hall of fame but you don't have a character clause for your own teams that are currently playing that doesn't make any sense to me well the red sox now i think this you know this could transition to obviously i mean you get i'm sure you get talked about a lot with and people ask you a lot of questions the red sox cheated in some sort of fashion i know the astros got most of it in terms of both those teams let's talk about the red sox first you know alex Cora gets suspended for a year and they got ron renneke as the manager now just with all that happened with the red sox and the investigation what is your what was your thoughts then and we look at it now as we're sitting in may with no baseball what are your thoughts still on the on the investigation of the red well sox? it's super frustrating and honestly it sucks especially because i think that what a lot of people on social media forget is that fans have pretty much no say over what their teams do. They're just along for the ride. And you see that because if fans had any say in what the Red Sox were doing, we'd still have Mookie Betts. 
So, you know, you have people that come into your mentions and say things about how the Red Sox are cheaters. And it's like, okay, what do you want me to do about it? I didn't cheat. I, or right. Astros fans being like, your team did it too. I'm like, well, first of all, apples and oranges. And second of all, I'm not my team. I'm literally just a podcaster and a fan and a sports writer and, you know, a Boston girl. That's That has zero bearing on what the Red Sox may or may not have done. It's frustrating to me for a couple of reasons. For, aside from that, for one thing, the Red Sox investigation was a direct, I guess, reaction or the way that the Red Sox investigation was handled was a direct reaction to the bad way that the that Manfred and MLB handled the Astros investigation because they did so much more due diligence on the Red Sox. They did so much they spent so much more time on it. They dragged it out over spring training, over over a month of quarantine or isolation or global pandemic, stay at home, no baseball, whatever you're calling this time. This was hanging over the Red Sox for months. And the way that it was framed made it seem like the Red Sox were the only team doing it when the articles explicitly state that other teams were doing exactly the same thing, including your favorite team. And you had you had American League executives on the record saying plenty of teams do this. You had former players saying, I sometimes all it takes is coming to the to a new team from an old team and and being in shock that your new team isn't doing this because everyone else is doing this. And I don't think that makes it okay at all, but I don't like one team being singled out when there was plenty of evidence from other people around the league that other teams were doing it too. Because if you actually want to get rid of cheating, you need to do a full house cleaning. You can't just say, I'm only going to clean the bathroom and then wonder why your house still stinks. Do you think Alex Cora is ever going to be manager in baseball? Is he ever going to be the manager? I think he will definitely be a manager in baseball again. I said this on Locked on Red Sox last week or the week before maybe that I don't think he should come back to the Red Sox. And I mean, you're not a Red Sox fan, but you saw how, how beloved he was in Boston over literally two years of being the manager. Um, he was supposed to be the guy that managed this team for a long time. Like the Red Sox have had since Grady Little in 03, the Red Sox have had four managers. Yeah. Three managers, four managers now in the span of 17 years. And they had this bad habit of, uh, choosing guys that weren't the right fit or being dumb enough to fire Terry Francona. And Alex Cora was supposed to be the, uh, the guy that broke that pattern because he was supposed to be, you know, the first Latino manager in the franchise history. He was supposed to be the young guy that was the antithesis of John Farrell. He spoke Spanish. He communicated with his players. He was a mixture of like a leader, a father figure and a brother figure, depending on who you were on the team. Everybody, everybody loved him. And he was supposed to be that guy. It was supposed to be like Alex Cora's Red Sox, you know, the way like Bruce Bochy is, was the Giants guy. Um, and that to not have that work out, especially in the way that it did was really heartbreaking. I think the whole city, the whole fan base was kind of going through a breakup of like feeling very betrayed. And, you know, it's, it's kind of been an ongoing thing this whole year of like every decision the Red Sox have made throughout since basically winter 2019 has just upset or befuddled or betrayed the fan base to the point where fans are very disillusioned by this team of like, you got rid of Dombrowski, fine. He was not the right person to continue doing his job. 
but you got rid of Price, Porcello, Sandy Leone, Mookie, Brock. Um, I'm definitely missing some people. You fired Cora, and this team is just like to go from being a championship team that was so exciting two years ago to this. It's like, it's not even like, you know, you fell out of like a 10 floor building and hit the sidewalk. It's like your body went straight through the pavement down to the earth's core and you're just like on fire. And it just seems like, you know, you look at when they won the world series in 2013, they fell off the cliff in 14, then in 18, they win it, fell off the cliff in 19. Uh, You know, it's, when Mookie Betts got traded and he, him and David Price got traded to, to the Dodgers and they put on that Dodgers uniform, you know, they're, yes, they're, they're, they're an LA Dodger at the moment, but they may not even play for the Dodgers this year. And there's going to, there may not even be any baseball. Yeah. I, that makes me feel really bad. I have some friends in Dodgers Twitter fan. Like I have some friends in LA and some friends from Dodgers Twitter who I just feel so bad for, because it's like, as much as you know, this hurts for the Red Sox, like, Dodgers fans have just been getting kicked in the nuts for like three years now. They've been to seven consecutive postseasons and they got cheated out of one in 2017. And to some of them, they feel like they were cheated out of another one in 2018, even though factually cheating accusations were so rampant in 2018 by the time of the postseason that MLB installed human officials of their own in every single video replay room to guard them from any misuse. So the kind of cheating that the Red Sox are accused of or that they were partially found guilty of wouldn't have been possible under MLB's watch during the postseason. Those games were won fair and square to my way of thinking and to MLB's. And the thing, the interesting thing that I think a lot of people aren't talking about though is Manfred really kind of needs a win. You know, he is not liked by baseball fans, I don't think it, you would be very hard-pressed to find a person who thinks Manfred is good at his job besides team owners who he makes money for because that's what he's here to do. He's a lawyer. He's here to make money and protect the interests of the teams, not the fans. And you see that literally in every single decision he makes. If Alex Cora had been the one who'd been found guilty of doing something in Boston, Manfred would have put his head on a plate and displayed it to the world. Manfred would have touted him out as like, we got our guy. We did it. We found he was guilty. There is an abundance of evidence. And by not doing that and saying that he's only guilty of something in Houston, I think that speaks volumes because there was no reason if he'd been guilty of doing something in Boston, there was no reason for Manfred not to totally destroy him and absolutely obliterate him. Is it just me or, and I, I think when the sanctions came down on the Astros, it was significant. I mean, social media blew up, but obviously with what's going on now with the global pandemic, no major league baseball, it almost seems like the Astros, they're not getting away with it from the fans. It just seems like, you know, I think every fan in every city was so ready for them to come in and just not only boo them, shame but, them. You know, it was gonna be <laughs> shame them. It was gonna be a tough year oh, for how the sad. Astros. Do you still think that's? <laughs> do you and and listen, I I I had my calendar circled for when they were coming to oh. the Bronx because I wanted to be there to boo. And do you think they're oh, getting yeah, away totally. with it? Because it, it almost it just to me it seems like right now it's like oh come on. We want the opportunity. We're like, 
ravaged dogs right now. We want to we want to get at the Astros. We want to get them and just you know when they come to the ballpark. When baseball is back, do you think fans are still going to react negatively? Towards yeah, the Astros? I mean, because first of all, the thing is, they've been getting away with it since the day that the punishment was announced. Because Jim Crane was like, "Oh, you're suspending my GM and my manager. I'll just fire them and get brand new ones." Circumvented, like. They have been getting away with this since the beginning. They still have their World Series. Their $5 million fine is like barely what Roberto Ozuna makes in a year. And like they still have a talented team, even losing their first and second round, their first and second round draft picks for the next two years, especially given the fact that the draft is, you know, who even knows what's going to happen with that. They've been getting away with it since the beginning. They were able to pin a lot of the blame on Cora because the easiest thing to do is to blame the guy who isn't even working for your organization anymore because you're not directly affected by any punishments that happened to him. And Beltron wasn't with them anymore either. And he's the only guy, he's the only player named in the um in the report. So they've been literally getting away with it from the jump. And it's infuriating, especially now, because they aren't Lunau and uh, Hinch's suspensions and Cora's will be considered served at the end of 2020, the calendar year, regardless of whether or not there's baseball. And so if they still had their jobs, any of them, the Astros and the Red Sox would be getting away with murder because they would basically, it's time served without time served. And I don't think that's fair for any of them, Cora included. And people were like, oh, you're just, you know, someone from Dodgers Twitter was like, you're uh, you're happy that Cora, I was like, I don't even think Cora should come back to the Red Sox. So your argument makes no sense. I don't think any of them, I think all of their sus- suspensions should start when baseball starts. If, if you know, Domingo Herman is suspended 80 games, but isn't suspended until the games happen, why aren't you doing the same thing for the guys that you suspended for a year? They're not actually missing anything right now. It's, it sucks. You're right. It's just all, all we can do is just shake our head and pray and, for a new commissioner. You know, just, it, <laughs> that too. And we're wrapping up here with Gabrielle. She's the founder of girl at the game. Also podcast host on lockdown Red Sox. Last couple questions here, Gabrielle. Will there be a season? Yes, there will. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm sure it's going to be weird and confusing, and there will be many a snafu. But baseball has become all about the money, so you know they're not willing to miss out on a full year of baseball. And I will pretty much take whatever I can get at this point. The latest I've heard is that there's the plan to um, allow all the teams to play in their own ballparks with no fans starting at the end of June or like the first week of July at the latest. I still think that that's pretty soon. And, you know, you have to consider that these are real people with families and you can't ask athletes to just like abandon their family. Um, So there's obviously it's like a logistical nightmare. Anyway, you slice it, but the idea of living without baseball until next February sounds awful. But but if uh, that's what has yeah, to I mean, happen, obviously, for the world to be safe, like, okay, we'll all figure out, you know, we'll all emerge from this looking like death warmed over. But um, the biggest thing is that everyone stays safe. So I can watch David Ortiz home runs until 2021 if I have to. 
that, that's that's actually a good transition to one of my last questions is favorite Red Sox of all time. David Ortiz. Red Sox player. David Damn Ortiz, obviously. Any other how and he he's on the Mount Rushmore of, of Red Sox players. I mean, correct? he's on the Mount Rushmore of postseason players in general. Look what he did to your favorite team in two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's still painful. You know, they're showing they're showing the. Uh, I know ALCS they are. You you started the pod by name dropping ALCS 3 Game Seven Aaron Boone to me. So yeah, turnabout is fair play, my friend. <laughs> All right, last question. If you had to pick between the last four World Series championships, two thousand four, two thousand seven, two thousand thirteen in 2018 for the Boston Red Sox. Which one is your favorite? You can only right. pick one. Yeah, I actually did this on Locked on Red Sox. I did a bracket and had people vote. <sighs> I feel bad. No one ever picks 2007. It's super overlooked because it's sandwiched in between two incredibly meaningful World Series. And it's just kind of, compared to other Red Sox series, it's boring because it was just like a really good team and there was no like crazy storyline. Um, except maybe like how Mike Lowell was like a throw in for a trade package. I really want to say 2013 because it meant so much to me as a person, it meant a lot to my family, it meant so much to the city. Um, it made David Ortiz the legend that he is. But there is no ensuing World Series for Boston, there's no championships without 2004. If they don't win in 2004, they maybe don't win. Um, 2004 is the greatest comeback in sports history. Like, you can't, at the end of the day, you really can't compare because what they did was so shocking. I mean, they said it themselves, they shocked the world. No one thought that they could do it. Still yeah, you're in pain, day. and I'm like tearing up thinking about Keith Polk and, um, <laughs> you know, just like jumping, jumping into uh, Veritex arms. Uh, and it, you know, it 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 was just it, it really was a crash and burn because you look at '03, it was just Yankees fans were sitting there saying Red Sox are never going to beat us. They're never going to beat us. Look what just happened, Aaron Boone. <laughs> uh, and then '04 just pop, and you know we had a Rod, we had Sheffield. You know, we won game three. 19 to eight. Like 18 to nine or 19 <laughs> to eight. And, you know, we just went into game four. And, you know, I remember with my dad, we were just like, all right, we were getting ready to play the Cardinals in the World Series. And then um, it just it just didn't happen. And I, I the last thing I'll say is that my dad went to game seven. and He went to game seven and 03. And he, he never leaves a game early. And no matter what the score is, he always wants to stay to the end. And he left the game at, at, in the seventh inning. He knew he was like, they're, they're going to Red Sox are going to win. He stopped at a liquor store, picked up a couple of champagne bottles, you know, bottles of champagne and dropped them off at our neighbor's houses. That is Red so Sox classy. And just said, you know, no, no I know. I've got Yankees that, fans okay? in my family. Um, I, I have many rational, including yourself. I have many rational Yankees fans, friends, it's the ones who, you know, blab about 27 rings when it's actually 26 rings in a pocket watch and they don't even know that about their own franchise. It's the ones who have nothing intelligent to say and live in the past. That's the ones where I'm just like, all right, cool, have fun. <laughs> that stadium's not even here anymore. And this is living proof, folks, that 
yes, a Red Sox fan and a Yankee fan can be friends. We can do a podcast together for over an hour. And just oh, an hour baseball. is short for us. <laughs> it is possible, folks. Uh, an hour is short for us. We could go on for days talking about baseball. But, Gabrielle, thank you so much for coming on. You made your debut. I will debut. come back anytime you'll have me. This was so fun. Thank you. You can catch her at uh, Girl at the Game, uh, also on Locked on Red Sox. Um, I believe where, where can folks so find you, you can on follow Twitter? girl at the game on Twitter um, or you can follow my personal Twitter which is GF star one um, and you can listen to girl at the game and locked on Red Sox both on Apple podcasts Spotify and uh, their new articles of all kinds going up on girl at the game.com every single week I think I think I think Gabrielle and I can do an entire podcast series about Brock Justice Holt for Brock should be on the Red Sox still. Gabby, thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll, too, we'll chat bud. soon. Stay safe. Big thanks again to Gabrielle for the time. Prime example right there that two rivals, Yankees and Red Sox, can come together as one. I'm going to end the episode on this. The other day I go out with my mask and gloves on to grab the food I ordered and the delivery man was wearing a Red Sox hat and I was wearing my Yankees hat. We both just nodded and, you know, I was grabbing the bag and he just said, I miss it. I nodded back and I just said, I miss it too, man. I miss it too. And we both said goodnight and that was it. That was the end of the conversation. That was, that was it. I walked away from that with a grin on my face. You know, I just, I thought about how low key cool it was that normally up here in Boston, people will say things that i not going to repeat on here if you have a Yankee hat on or you just get dirty looks. That was just a prime example that two rivals truly can come together as one. And at the end of the day, we are getting closer and closer to sports being back in our lives again. That will do it for this episode. Stay safe and stay healthy, everyone. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment and download the Anchor FM app today. Episode number two of the KJC podcast is in the books.